Hi, this is Nigel for the Sunday Lunch Project podcast for the 7th of Feb. Um, hope you're having a good day. Today we have the second part of our chat with Andy Murray. Um, but first, a little bit of uh, sponsor request and a bit of news. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, then please get in touch at sundaylunchpmpod at nigelcreaser.com. Well, this week, um, this episode goes out a little bit late because I've uh, just been busy doing stuff, uh, doing a lot of running this weekend, which is good. Um, I mentioned last weekend that I was doing this, trying to run once a day uh, for a mile, and I'm continuing on into February, and it's feeling good. So, pretty chuffed with that. Um, work wise has been crazy as ever, and book editing-wise has been zero this last week because of craziness at, at work and a bit of the running as well, so hopefully I will get in there. Though I, what I have done, irrelevant to you guys in some ways, is played around with a little bit of Alexa skills again because an idea popped into my head when having a chat with my wife. And so I did another one of those, which does remind me is something that any of you listeners out there who are studying for your Scrum certifications... Um, I did a Scrum Guide Facts. It does need a little refresh, but I think a lot of the basics are still there, uh, language-wise, etc. So it's an Alexa skill. Enable it on your Echo device and uh, give it a go. Randomly tells you a fact, and that will help you revise. Um, A little bit of work going on um, outside uh, with PMI, which... Hopefully, I'll be able to let you know more of next week. Um, and I think that's probably it, really. Uh, a bit of a short one today, interviews wise, podcast interviews wise. I've got a few more people lined up. Another interview next week, and a week, uh, two weeks after that, another one. So, uh, uh, I have a long list of people who I'm going to try and talk to this year. And um, if there's anyone out there who someone or feels that they have a a story they'd like to talk about, please um, get in touch uh, and we'll speak then. Anyway, on with the interview and I'll speak to you later. Moving on from that one then, um, it sounds like it was a very big success and you weren't shouted at and screamed at and you managed to get there, but... In your career, what would you suggest is your biggest screw-up of all of the projects you've delivered? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Thanks for asking this question. Um, if you, if you, if you've been a per- story, I was going to say, if it's perfect, you don't have right. to tell us. If you've had yeah. a perfect career. <laughs> No, there was, it was an early lesson and I learned it well. Um, and uh, which was, um, it, was a, it was a technology deployment project. So, um, and, and we had um, a situation where it was, it was a really, it, 
it was unusual in that the the the, the client um, was running two pilots, so they you know they'd run a, a competition a bid, um, and and the firm that I was um, working for um, was was a successful bidder, but instead of awarding it you know the the rollout or, or the, you know, the solution to to one the one successful bidder, that they were a little bit unsure as to where they want you know which path they wanted to go down, so they awarded pilot contract to two bidders. Um, it's another retail uh, deployment one. Um, and so, you know, two, two rivals went head to head in two different <laughs> settings and, and, uh, and, and, you know, put, put some new systems in. Um, and, and the system for the, the company I, I was working with um, was actually a really good system and, and, and um, you know, met all the requirements, but there were some some problems and, and mostly in terms of the the development team you know um you know for, for the the original uh, um, the, the oem team you know had some product releases that were needed to fulfill some of the requirements so although all of the requirements could be done there was one particular one um that, that was needed and, and there were some delays and those delays got um uh, um suppressed so with the view that all the other work that was being done you know would would keep the team busy it wouldn't it wouldn't require us to miss any milestones but this one item that was was held back um and at the same time the you know there were some much bigger rollouts taking place elsewhere in the world uh, and and we were sort of talking you know we, we were moving down the queues to where we could get <laughs> our our change for for this platform so the team you know, developed quite a strong siege mentality Partly in terms of, you know, um, seeing the, you know, the the, the the development team back at the, the headquarters as being, you know, a bit of the enemy. You know, they're they're the people that are causing us late nights and and yeah. anxious days and so on. And and you know, uh, uh, um, you know, we had, you know, a director of the uh, of the country operations flying back to headquarters from time to time to have rows with the development team. So it got quite fractious in, in the, you know, from an internal perspective. Um, but that siege mentality did spill over to, to the client as well, because the client was was pushing the team and, and they wanted to see all the features demoed before it got implemented and so on. And and so that that was a lesson that when you know siege mentality can be good for for projects because it's very unifying for project teams. But if that spills over to you know to to seeing the the client um, that that they're part of a problem when actually you're doing it for them. Uh, that that was an issue. So we did we did have some some challenges there, which we did resolve uh, as a team. But through that issue of some things being suppressed, you know, um, then when it was finally revealed to, to the client that there was this one element that we didn't quite have and it would be delayed, it was a straw that broke the camel's back, and and they you know um, basically stopped the pilot and awarded the, the rollout to the other. To the other team um so that that was that was a tough lesson <laughs> for yeah. a team because it was like a nine-month project or something like that where we were doing you know i um, mean it was field-based so we were out you know um, away from home we were staying in hotels we we're working till 10 11 o'clock at night to, to get milestones done and and, and so on and uh, yeah it was it was a hard, hard lesson but the lesson there was that i, I think you know being um, clearer with the the end client earlier i think would have helped uh, and and you know spotting when that togetherness of the team had switched from being you know a, a together team to, to 
to um, it's everyone against us <laughs> yeah. moment. Yeah, I should have spotted that one earlier. Um, yeah, it's it difficult. So, it's, it is difficult to spot that, isn't it? Because it, if you're in that situation where you're working long hours, you're working really hard, you're up against it, you're trying to solve problem and all that, that ability to sit back and realize that you, and, and, and it isn't something you suddenly switch into, is it? You don't suddenly go from a team. No, there wasn't. A, yeah, it, it wasn't sort of, um, you know, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night when it happened. It, it no. happened gradually. It was yeah. like the, uh, you know, the boiling of the frog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that, that the frog doesn't notice, you know, so, yeah. um, doesn't leap out the pan. So it, it, it is that 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 issue. Um, and it's difficult, yeah. I suppose. It's looking for, and, and I, I, you could liken it to the kind of um, conversations I've had about, like when you're going through stressful periods in your life and, and whether that's, um, and you can realize when those stress positions are getting worse, there's certain triggers that you have as an individual that um a sort of early warning uh signs i imagine there's probably things within the teams and that if we stepped back and weren't part of the team and we're looking from the outside you'd be going hang on a minute that's a bit um of an odd approach to something um whether it be to the customer whether it be to the supplier or whatever yeah. um it's, it's being able to use those and spot those going forward isn't it Absolutely, and 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 also, you know, I'm sure in terms of um, how, how how we've sort of fessed up <laughs> and had had a bearing on it as well. So, sort of socialising those things early, I, I think, but for some people, don't like surprises, and, and I, yeah. I'm sure there was an element of shock, and, and then and then there was a, a difficulty in, in backing down from from, from a position. So, um, yeah, I mean, and and, and you know. And, and this is coming back to the art now, isn't it? It's all about yeah. people and, 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 and interactions and, and knowing individuals and, and, and how they how they would react. Yeah, because you, you can't blame people to be disgruntled in that scenario because they'll sit there and go, well, what else aren't you telling us now? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a reasonable thing to ask, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a real shame. I mean, the, uh, you know, that was... Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, we were convinced it was the superior solution, but then, you know, you know as a team, we were <laughs> obviously biased. But yeah. um, you know, it was a good solution, but it was only, you know, and it was such a small element that was needed as well. You know, it was, it was perfectly fine without it, um, but but it was a part of the requirements. You know, wanted it all in place before it was fully deployed. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's yeah. it's a difficult one. <laughs> to move away and let's let's uh, yeah yeah move away from your screw let's move it on to something a bit more positive um i've got two questions i usually ask and it's kind of the, they're kind of joined together and sometimes it's the same one but what of all of your projects you've delivered would you say is made you the most proud you come to the end of it you've delivered it and you think yeah that I'm, that's me it fills me with joy um, and again, it doesn't necessarily need to be the biggest, the, the hardest. It was just what what you walked out of there and thought, yeah, that was brilliant as a team. And what other, what else within um, your project career that not necessarily the project delivery itself, but part of that delivering that part of interaction with people, what your proudest achievement in that context would have been? Yeah, good, good, good question. So that, I think there's a, a number of things that um, 
if, if I look back and say, you know, what, what's in the in, in, in the file of uh, you know the the greatest hits, <laughs> if you like. Yeah. Um, so, so there's there's one around you know within you know we mentioned the Prince two two project. So there there's you know a number of things within that um, around you know, how the team worked and so on. But 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 actually the the one thing from from that. Um, that I was proud of, of of what we've done in terms of a you know a, a lasting legacy and, and you know it still comes up you know regularly now when when I'm you know talking to people is when we introduced principles um, of of what it means to be you know uh, of, of having a method that's you know, in accordance with with Prince Two um, the principle of of learning from experience of of seeking lessons and applying them to your project through the project um i think it's something that you know we, we your, the whole authoring team was proud of that one um because you know the at the time you know, you know learning lessons was about logging and passing on you know if you look at sort of the contemporary guidance you know leading up to the 2009 version it was all about a push activity and and we wanted to change that from a push activity to a pull activity and I think there's still huge amounts of more work to do, you know, of, of project management community more generally about making lessons a pull rather than a push uh, activity. So that's one. But in terms of um, the, the way you, you sort of you phrased the question around the, you know, the you know, the, the, the experience, I think the the, the project um, or the piece of work like that that um, I, I'm most proud of or, or when I, I probably look back most fondly is probably <laughs> another another way of qualifying it or, or thinking about it was the work that I did within the um, for the local government uh, community so I've been working uh, mostly in the Middle East uh, ahead of the uh, the credit crunch um, I've been working in banking sector and you know in particular for an investment bank um, and and some some quite you know really interesting work, um, but um, not necessarily that fulfilling in terms of impacts it makes on people's lives. Although mm. then what happened with the credit crunch, it was more of a negative impact on people's lives. But um, but then when you know sort of you know came back to the UK when those projects finished, uh, and got involved in a few projects around you know with, with sort of local local authorities, and they had a massive challenge. You know it was you know the you know, what was deemed austerity at the time, which was the you know the the central government funding for for local authority services, was drastically reduced. There'd been a prior commitment that uh, council tax wouldn't go up, and there'd been some commitments around things that they can no longer charge for. So, you know, so their own revenue was um, you know was either capped or reducing, and their their effectively their subsidy. You know, their their um, central you know, the, the central government money was 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 drastically reduced. So some local authorities had, within a twelve month period, the need to adjust their budgets by forty percent or, or more. Jeez. So you know, you apply that to a private sector um, organisation, and although we, we often hear that you know private sector is more adapt and more agile, I can't think of a private sector firm that could cut its base cost base by forty yeah. percent in in a year. Um, it, it, it was stunning what was achieved by by that that sector overall um, and one of the things that i got involved with, with that group was that clearly when you're looking to do you know um, substantial change um, and quickly uh, it 
it's transformation in, in terms of it, it's not change, it's not business change. We're talking about transformation. You know, they were transforming their services and transforming some of their delivery models and, and commercial models. Um, and so, you know, uh, many of them realized quite quickly it wasn't about how well the projects are run. It was actually about taking the programmatic view and, and about joining up what they were doing and having a, a total systems view of the change they were putting in. So, so there was a, a big move to uptake, um, you know, or to start using the, you know, the, the principles and the techniques in program management and, and you know, using MSP as the, the guide that was readily available to them at the time. And a few of them had started to engage with consultancy firms like they had previously done with Prince2 um, to get you know, um, their own handbook or framework and some templates and so on and a bit of training. Uh, and then there was a few councils in London that realized that that was quite wasteful when they're all pretty similar organizations. They've all got you know, um, uh, count, you know, local councillors. Uh-huh. They've got a democratic layer. They've got you know, children's services, adult social care. <laughs> you know, they, 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 even though they're all quite different in terms of their locations, structurally, they're all pretty similar. Uh, and so therefore, having a framework that works in, say, one London borough, it, it's very, very likely that the exact same framework would work in another one. So instead of engaging in that way, they pulled their resources and said they'll do it once, so long as what they did could be shared across all public service organisations, and they included the likes of police and fire and and uh, and NHS trusts. So, um, you know, I, I was lucky. I, I won won a, um, a bid to to get involved with that team, um, and it, it was a very collaborative piece of work. Uh, um, you know, the the imperative to, to do it, to do it quickly, and to do it easily. Uh, was was massive uh, and to be um, deployment focused so rather than you know ending the day with fantastic program management guidance um, they had transformation programs to, <laughs> to deliver whilst yeah. all that was going through so it was all about the deployment so we did lots of you know we kept all of the guidance really simple we kept it all um, you know as, as light touch as possible it was all aimed first at sort of the chief officer uh, level uh, and head of service level, uh, and, and the assumption was that if you organised it and there were some projects involved in the delivery, it sort of didn't matter how the projects were delivered. It was all about getting the right projects with the right interfaces, um, with the right sort of operating model and blueprints in, in place. And they say that many of them did it really, really well. So, so that's one that, you know, it was quite quick overall in, in terms of, you know, from first engagement to getting things done to then working with, you know uh, the, the the end users of of you know those transformation projects, uh, and and we saw the results. You know we saw that they balanced their budgets in, in the subsequent years and continued to provide, you know, re- really important services. Um, yeah, and for many of them, the consequences of getting it wrong were, were massive. You know, yeah. Um, you know they were they were, they were really fearful of of of, of um, you know not safeguarding and and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's one I think. Um, I'm, I'm proudest about that, what that collective achievement was, and uh, you know, uh, and, and and there were some some great people involved in that. Um, Brilliant. It's um, I know, I know I was working in that that reusability around the um, the government sector. I saw it when it's, it's quite a few years now, twenty. Uh, 
12, well, probably more than that, 18 years ago when I was um, working with some local councils and we were implementing software solutions and CRM solutions that were um, designed of, you, you throw the disk into the, um, into the server, it installs a standard um, 45 days following a load of conversations and configuration. You've got a, whether it be a, um, a website for a digital portal interface, um, configurable one of those or whether it be a CRM system for their, their call centers and things like that and it was all because of like you say that 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 commonality in the way that they operate um, mm. and just with a few tweaks for the the, 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 the um, nuances I can see where certainly the delivery side of it is is it, yeah why would they want to reinvent the wheel individually that yeah. just makes no sense at all yeah and then you know, don't get me wrong, you know, some of them that look like they're identical from the outside can, can be massively different. So we worked mm. with um, two, ended up being three, um, you know, local authorities that were doing some shared work. Um, so they, you know, sort of shared services type type model. And even though structurally they looked quite similar and their context of their boroughs were, were similar, you know, one was, um, you know, command and control, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. really rigid, you know, with lots of layers. And the other one was really flat and, uh, you know, it was, it was all empowered and, uh, you know, you know, seek forgiveness, not approval. And, and culturally there were either ends of a spectrum in terms yeah. of uh, leadership uh, styles and, and bringing those two together was, was tough. And then there was another one worked with again, similar, you know, one of the things I wanted to do to reduce that cost was to combine two services of two neighboring, um, local authorities and this was a technology uh, element to it and, and one of them had um, sort of a technology strategy it was just a sort of an overarching sort of um, it wasn't a strategy it was just a philosophy, a, a philosophy of um, it had to be tried and tested to the extent that most of their like you know microsoft licenses were end of life you know, uh. because they were that tried and tested and then the neighboring one you know if, they, if it was shiny and new they wanted it and they, <laughs> you know they, they were again either ends of a spectrum in terms of yeah. um you know that early adopter laggard <laughs> um cycle and so you know when they were trying to put together something you, know, you can imagine the conversations they oh, had gosh. about yeah. um you know, testing. selection choices, <laughs> yeah, yeah, testing. you know, or, or which bidder was the preferred bidder, you know, so, yeah, so that's, but, but in terms of program management, though, that, that's the same, regardless of those two cultural positions, yeah. but yeah, but, but there are, there are some quite, you know, that, that even though, you know, structurally, they're the same, and, and, and so from a, from a method and framework, you can have some commonality, there are still those differences that need to be worked through. Yeah, that execution, isn't it? Mm. So you, you mentioned earlier um, that uh, you started blogging, and what what was that 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 side of it? You said? Well, yeah. So I mean, I would like to blog more, to be honest. Mm. But so so um, you know, when when I started uh, blogging, it was mostly in support of the that Prince Two project, which was yeah. you know um, describing what we were doing and, and why. Um, and then when it finished, I carried on for for a while, um, uh, and and uh, so I'm, I'm probably best described as an irregular <laughs> like blogger. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, but what, what I do like, though, you know, outside of the say the, the Prince Two one was mostly about um, you know just giving an update on what we're doing and why, and and and, and sharing some some results of some of the studies that we had commissioned. Um, but in terms of things that I, I 
a blog about since it's, it's mostly you know either a topic or or, or a, you know um, you know uh, an issue or or something's come up uh, and it, it you know and it's something that I want to you know think through and see if there's a way of sort of um, conveying an idea around that topic in an engaging way and, and and hopefully in a way that you know prompts other people to think differently about that that topic. Um, so I, I try not to do it from a from a preaching perspective because you know I, I don't think there is, ever is a you know a, an only way or a very right way of doing something. But but hopefully you know sort of things I blog about prompt prompt others to think oh okay there might be some other ways of doing things and, and let's have a look or, or maybe I should consider that next time I'm doing something. Cool, that makes sense. I think it's a it's a good it, it, prompting discussion is is a uh, and just slightly different thought ideas is always the way to do it, isn't it? Mm. Um, and anything like that. I, I number of times I've seen stuff and gone, well, I've never ever thought it in that context before. And when just because someone else has said the same thing, um, just the way that you put it, you will put it in your own unique way that will be, um, it'll connect with some people and, and not connect with others. I think it's, uh, it's, it's a really useful um, medium myself. Uh, a little like you, I, I kind of dip in and out and uh, from that side of it. Just at the top of the, the conversation, obviously, one of the things that you're working on at the moment is, is as the um, executive director at the Major Projects Association. Um, we had Jonathan on last year talking about mm. the Major Projects Association. What what got you involved Um in that, because it's only it's only recently on looking on your, well, I'm stalking you on LinkedIn. It's relatively recently in the last year that you you stepped into that role. And what, what was it that um, sparked your interest to go into that? And, and and what do you see? Tell us a bit about it. A little bit of an overview and what you see you're going to get out of it. Yeah. So uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, quite early on, you know, my my first project, you know, was. Um, transatlantic mm. telecoms cable. I wasn't the project leader on there. I was a <laughs> graduate engineer doing software uh, for, for the supervisory system. But but um, you know, I've, you know I've, I've had involvements in, in in major projects, including sort of new airports and uh, you know, and, and other sort of transport and energy schemes and, and decommissioning uh, projects. So you know, so it's a you know, a lot of my time has been spent. In, in, in a major project context, and uh, uh, I joined, you know, my my, my consulting uh, firm joined as members of, of the Major Projects Association, um, coming up for about ten years ago, I think. Mm. I, I can't quite remember exactly when, <laughs> when we joined, but it's in that sort of time frame. Uh, and I've always found it um, a really good use of. of my time personally, and and you know, and colleagues within my my, my former organisation, um, and, and a number of reasons. One is obviously the the focus is on the project, um, so it's it's the major projects association. So it's not about um, you know project management per se or, uh, or or engineering. It is about the project. So it's got that that purpose uh, focus, which I think is is really good, but you know, major projects aren't delivered by a single entity. It requires multiple organisations to come together. You know, often, talking major gov uh, major projects includes government or public sector in terms of mostly having mm -hmm. the need for some of those major projects. 
Um, so uh, you know, the, the, the major project association, the membership is that three, 360 degrees, if you like, of, of the entities or the organizations that need to come together to work on it collectively. So there's, there's an element there of working with a variety of, of, of organizations and, and, you know, and, and you know, the, the association was set up coming up for 40 years. It's our 40th anniversary at the end of this, this year in, in, towards oh, the end wow. of 2021. Um, but it was set up because of that very reason, which is it's not like an in-house project or a, you know, a project that's wholly owned. Um, it requires, you know, um, multiple, you know, different types of organizations to come together to make them better. Uh, you know, those that are specifying them, those that are funding it, those that are doing assurance, those that are, you know, going to, um, you know, uh, deliver uh, it or, or parts of, of the solution and, and those that are, you know, um, you know advising, you know, they all, all of those, you know, ha have to work together and, and break down those, you know, those, those, those barriers, if you like, to get major projects improved. And, and likewise, it's not about just the project managers, um, you know, or it's not about just the engineers or just the funders or the financers or the, you know, there's there's multiple yeah, exactly. professions involved, you know, commercial, you know, contract managers, lawyers, you know, the, you know, and and the association, you know, is is not specific to, uh, you know, to to a single discipline. So it's it's a multidisciplinary, you know, setup. So so uh, you know. Uh, you know, the, the the events that are put on you know you're likely to have those that sort of um variety of, of professions you know representing a variety of organizations that collectively want to to, to improve you know, you know projects overall so so that's you know why, why i've been involved you know uh, over time and in terms of why uh, i joined as the executive director you know, you know hopefully you've seen from some of the conversations that we've been having you know uh, i i you know, a lot of the work I've done, you know, partly by chance with the likes of Prince Two, uh, and, uh, and and other times through, you know, pursuing things. I've, you know, I've I've, I've been involved in the, you know, the advance, you know, the advancing of the practice of, of, of um, you know, project management and and improving projects overall. And you know, I've been doing that you know, in the last you know couple of decades as a as a consultant mostly. Um, and so I had an opportunity now doing it in a different way. So rather than, you know, working with an organization at a time, I've now got the, the privilege of working, you know, on behalf of members with, with, with multiple you know, organizations, you know, coming together. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was it, once, once I saw the, uh, you know, the, 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 the association was looking for, for a new executive director, it was, uh, it, was, it was an itch that I found impossible not to scratch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I can see what I can understand why because it sounds like mm -hmm. a fascinating role. Um, I know that the whole um, the conversations I've had and seen on on, on the whole thing, it's the, the the scale of changes that are done in in organisations and how they get in. in well, it's, as you say, it's built oh, across organisations. It's um, mind-boggling how you get that. Uh, if you if you like on one Gantt chart um yeah and there's other <laughs> dynamics as well so when you think of you know um some of the, the large infrastructure projects in particular um you know you end up with new entities yeah. being formed to deliver those whether that's crossrail or high speed two or you know sort of the team delivering hinkley point c and, and so on but but they're you know what, what we would sort of describe as sort of pop-up uh, entities yeah. 
So you're not just running a project, you're running a, a new business at the same time. And some of these organizations, if you look at you know, the, um, the money that goes through them or, or the headcount, would be a FTSE 250 organization in their own right. And, and you're setting those up from scratch. So, so there's, there's sort of additional complexities there. And when you think if you're, if you're setting up a, you know, a brand new, but very large organization quickly, the sort of things that, that you know, many organizations take for granted in terms of their culture and their, their sort of um, you know, legacy practices that you know, build up over years about how things are done around here that sort of acts as a bit of a glue keeping them together um, you, you've got to try to create those and deliver a project at the same time so <clears throat> there's other say complexities that that come into play you know for, for major projects that aren't necessarily you know um, uh, uh, affecting sort of regular projects if I wanted to use a different term yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's anything as a regular project but you know not yeah, non-major projects <laughs> but, yeah uh, yeah so there are other facts and, and then other aspects around you know duration so if you've got a you know, a, a major project that's, you know, let's say it's, you know, going to take nine years, you know, a nine year major project is at least three governments yeah, <laughs> in the UK. So you've got change of, uh, you know, policy potentially and priorities. Um, and that's just governments, you know, the, these major projects are likely to have a place-based uh, uh, impact. So you know, there's a good chance you've got a, a metro mayor or, or, or some other sort of form of regional uh, a government or administration involved as well so you know and then you've got technology changing over that life cycle you know you've got leaders coming and going you're unlikely to have the same project leader or the SRO or the chief exec in place for the you know for the full duration of the project so there's all sorts of other things that that, that, that add and add and add to, to the challenges and, and that's why the associations uh, you know is, is set up to collectively you know, improve on those yeah, I suppose the, the, the one that pops into my head um, that, as, as you just described, all those things was probably like um, the Euro, the tunnel, the channel, as, it, as we call mm -hmm. it, and the channel tunnel build being, you've got those, all those things you're talking about and the fact you've got, I'm guessing that a business was set, Eurostar was set up as a business from scratch. And then not only have you got the UK government, the UK rail all of that stuff you've also got france as well so mm -hmm. you've got two governments to deal with two regional groups of air two regional i'm um, getting operators and, and and then border force and things like that and you start looking at and i started thinking yeah yeah that 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 um it, it's the it's like the snowball rolling down the hill isn't it when you start saying right give me a list of stakeholders right when does it finish rolling down that yeah hill? And, and is it you know freight versus passengers and yeah <laughs> Yeah, one of those, and that's just yeah, bonkers really. When you start thinking of of them in those contexts, mm. um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating area. So I've I've got a few more questions, not very many. It's getting late at night, and thank you very much for giving me so much time. What was the last um, book on project management that you read? Um. Well, the last book specifically on um, on, on project management was um, uh, Colin Ellis. Uh, his book would be the Project Workout. Um, yeah. So the, the project book rather yeah, than the project book. Yeah. And and uh, it's yeah it's it's, it's um, lots of chapters. You're know, very very short, but yeah, just on one aspect, and it's yeah. you know, it's almost like Colin's killer tips. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's a it's it's a great read. You know, um, it, 
you know, every single one of them you think, yes, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, should be no. doing more of that. <laughs> I should be doing less of that. You know, yeah. so, uh, so, so that's the last um, specific sort of project uh, management book. Um, the, the, uh, the sort of the, the, the last other book that sort of, um, you know, it, it impacted my thinking, if, if that's the, the right way of uh, describing it, um, is the, um, the, the Radical Uncertainty by King and Kay, um, yeah, looking at the, um, yeah, which is the uh, sort of uh, the, the, the economics and, and you know, how you deal with uh, things like COVID and, and, and other things that were you know, not predictable in, in terms of the scale of their impact and, and so on. And, and likewise, with sort of looking at how that's then translated into sort of economic modeling um so that 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 was really useful in terms of thinking about certainly from a major project perspective you know uh, um, how you convey that sort of thinking in in your business case uh, and in your in your risk management processes when you're doing things over multi-year periods but the other one that i'm, I'm um, you know, currently reading. In fact, I've got two on the go. One, one is a book, and one is a um, an audio, an audio book. Um, the book. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's the uh, the donut economics, um, which is uh, Kate Raworth, um, and and uh, that that is looking at economics from a sustainability lens, mm -hmm. which is you know um, looking at. There's a, a sort of um, it links back in some respects to the sort of um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So, what's the yeah. minimum level of things that we should be providing? And if you fall below that, then you're you know impacting on you know on on um, you know health and well-being and, and and livelihoods. And what's the maximum level? You know, what's the ceiling you should go to? Where if you go above that, um, you know you're using more resource than this generation should have. <laughs> Because <laughs> you effectively, you know, you got that inter intergenerational inequality then. Yeah. Um, so, and obviously, it's not sustainable. Um, so you, you can't keep keep doing that. And and that's a really fascinating one because the sort of the early economic models that are still in play today, really. Uh, um, you know, if you think of things like growth as a, as a as a concept, um, then you know that's fine if there's infinite resources and 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 if there were infinite earths. <laughs> Yes. That would be fine, but there isn't. We, we you know, we, we don't have infinite resources, don't have infinite space. You know, we're we're, we're space constrained, aren't we? As a yeah. as an island nation, we are. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's an interesting one, yeah, because it really affects how we think about projects and you know, projects we commission and and how you go yeah. about making how you, how you strategic you... choices and, and and delivery delivery approaches and so on. And linked to that, is, which is the the audio book, which sort of um, you know, hurts your brain a bit, is the the good ancestor. And uh, and uh, I can't remember the, the author for that. It will come to me in a moment. Um, but but that that's related to, to the same concept. But that's just saying, you know, if we were to project ourselves, you know, uh, forward, um, you know, what 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 would our you know seventh generation of of, uh, of descendants be talking about us um, in terms of uh, the, the legacy that we leave them? Roman um, Krasnarek. Yeah, that's the one. Yes. Yeah. I'm I glad just you Googled it. <laughs> I'm glad you pronounced it right as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but, but just simple things like the sort of um, the, uh, the I think it's the, the, the sixth or seventh generational thinking. So, you know, we, we can generally think of sort of five generations because you can go back to your grandparents and you can wind forward to your grandchildren. So you've got a five generational time span. But as a species, we struggle to think beyond that. 
uh, and and yet sort of um, if you look about you know um, how long you know as a species we've been on the planet in, in the current form you know 50,000 years if, if you like and if you project forward to that what sort of impact we're going to make you know there, there's it, it puts time in a different perspective in terms of uh, and particularly around sort of generational inequality as well you know what what are we robbing today that you know you know generations in, in 20,000 years you know, aren't going to have. So it's fascinating, but uh, yes, it's definitely, uh, so that's why I did that one as an audio book, because it's, um, it's sort of, um, if we were still allowed to drive around, it would be the, the one that I would listen to while I was driving or um, uh, on a train. Yeah, it sounds like a, yeah, one. Of, it sounds like one you've listened to several times to get your head around it a little bit, I think. Yes. Brilliant. So, as you're a listener, I think we talked about it earlier on. Was do you um, what's the last project pod related podcast or blog that you've uh, sort of consumed in the last uh, few months, if any? Um, yeah, well, uh, as, as we're saying, that my my podcast time is generally um, on trains or in hotels when I've been working away yeah. from home. I've been sort of a, a nomadic worker. So, as a, as an aside, you know, I, I've I've generally had a, a career of of working, you know, on on client sites or on project sites, and and you know, uh, hence the reason I've I've lived in in different parts of the world from from time to time. And uh, and so I'm sort of used sort of you know leaving home on a Monday morning, coming back on a on a Thursday or so. So the beginning of uh, of, of lockdown um, <laughs> this time last year, uh, I think uh, I realised that I I hadn't stayed at home for three weeks in a row since like 1993. Um, so um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it was a, a real culture shock to me. So I've I've got out of the habits of some of the things that I would normally do, as I say, just on a train or in, yeah. in a hotel. But uh, but my 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 um, uh, there's a couple of uh, podcasts I do still listen to um, at the moment, but they're not project uh, related. So so one's called Askcast, which is uh, um, a podcast relating to Arsenal and it's an Irish chap that does it twice a week typically after a match and I think every Monday um, so it's, it's always yeah. you know good, good entertainment and uh, you know sort of colourful Irish language as well so um, yeah sort of it's very 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 light uh, sort of entertainment and uh, another one just for um, uh, um, you know uh, good you know, sort of trivial facts is I don't know if you come across it which is the, the no such thing as a fish so if you want to sort of uh, broaden your, your your thinking on other topics and that's got the um, the, the the team behind the uh, the QI uh, uh, the QI elves that do the, the questions yeah. and so on so it's that group that just chat on different topics of the week or th interesting facts they've discovered but uh, but yeah I mean, I'm just racking my brains I think the last um, project um, podcast I listened to um, a couple of months ago actually was um, one of our um, association members um, ACOM uh, have got a, a podcast series on um, on uh, future cities I think they call it um, oh, and there was yeah. one on around resilient cities which I, I found really useful about uh, particularly where we are um, today with you know uh, you know COVID and obviously you know, a very point in time we've had a storm um, Christoph um, yes. causing some uh, some flooding around the north of, of the UK, but um, uh, resilient cities and again how that changes our thinking around sort of you know things like the circular economy and uh, and connectivity of, of infrastructure and 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 uh, you know what what we now need to function as a society. So um, yeah, that 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 series is is another one that's 
really interesting because uh, of that sort of project angle on, on infrastructure and, and, and city and urban development. Brilliant. So I've got my final two questions. The, the first one is, what would you say is um, your top tip to a seasoned PM? So someone who's out there, they've, they've um, got the battle scars, they've been in this industry, uh, they may have delivered a few major projects, who knows? What, what would you say to them as, as being one top tip for them to think about to help them um, make their life a bit easier or, or, or just um, uh, happier? Yeah, so I think for the season PM, and it's, I think it applies to, to new project managers, but um, for, for, for seasoned ones, I think it's, it's, it's a habit that sometimes is easy to, to fall out of. It's not, not a habit, it's the wrong word, but, but um, as a you know as a consultant and you know as, as, as someone that spent a lot of time on assurance and, and doing project reviews you know and particularly over the last 10 years um it still surprises me how the front end of projects get rushed um and and you know that's with you know project directors program directors and when i look at you know the amount of time that's spent at the front end and there's you know clearly a lot of pressure to get going there's a you know, a lot of pressure to demonstrate progress, but it does feel like those early gates are, uh, are passed too soon. And, and, you know, when I look at key project issues, I can nearly always wind them back to something proceeding before they were genu genuinely ready. Um, and, and it's a bit of a, a, a fool's errand to push ahead for the sake of speed, <laughs> because it's almost certainly going to slow, you know, slow, slow projects down. So, invest that time uh, up front. Um, and another one around that sort of upfront bit, I often see a, the um, 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 you know, sort of um, requirements, you know, sort of being conflated and 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 you know, um, being confused with solutions. And, and so making sure that early on, early conversations keep those two things, you know, somewhat separate. So that you know, um, when you're discussing need, you, you're not inadvertently discussing solutions. Yeah. So because it closes off options too early does, um, does. is one. Um, and, and sort of similar to that front end, the number of projects that have been blighted by their project name. So, so don't choose a name, don't go with the name too early. So just use any random code or, you know, project snowdrop or something, you know, uh, just, or just use the, the day of the week and, and go with that. Yeah. And, and um, always with an acronym check in other languages, what that acronym might mean. <laughs> yeah, very true. And, and and again, another one with the front, I've got sort of, you know, it wasn't one tip, but there's a few here come, coming with that sort of, um, that front end. And again, it's just from things I've reviewed from seasoned you know, uh, project project professionals that we 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 know that you know um, if you've got complex projects in particular, that you need high-performing teams. And I've seen in so many sort of you know strategies and you know when when, when I'm reviewing and interviewing you know, project leaders about you know uh, yeah we decided we needed a high-performing team and we you know, this is what we've put together and we've recruited the best people. Um, and, and having a collection of the best people isn't the same as a high-performing team. No. And teams take, you know, a, a lot of time to develop. And particularly, if you've got highly talented individuals joining a team. You know, my view is they take even more time to develop into into a team than, uh, you know, than than you know, regular, yeah. <laughs> regularly talented people, if you like. So, you know, spending that time to get teams working well 
uh, and therefore having the opportunity to be a high performing team uh, sometimes gets overlooked and I think it's all that that eagerness to rush and, and make progress uh, I think is is what what's at play there so that's sort of my my tip for the the, the seasoned PMs all about getting it right up front yeah and I think just on that um a couple of things there on the on the um the requirement solutions thing uh, I've got a, a friend of mine who works in uh, who's got a marketing business and a real example of that is where they have people come to his business going we need a redesign of our we need our new website done differently and he kind of goes there why do you need a new website well we need a new website we want to do this we want more customers okay yeah. so hang on a minute let's let's step back why let's why do you want that website first because as you and, and you get it a lot with the business right we want that technology solution because it's perceived as the solution and they sit there and go well actually you want more customer engagement well perhaps you need facebook advertising is where you'll be getting yes, all yeah, your yeah. customers other, other channels or other routes to achieving it exactly yeah and it's yeah. it's it's um see it so often in in things where people turn up with a requirement saying this is the requirement and it's got some software name in there yeah, implement software a b or c and it's just <laughs> whoa, 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 hang on yeah you need to go to the next level because quite i think a part of it is a problem is that a lot of people are now much more tech savvy much more solution knowledgeable than they would have been 20 years ago and and 20 years ago people will have more likely have gone i just want to be able to do this whereas they've they've gone that step further haven't they now and they've, i want to do this and this mm -hmm. is how i want to do it it's not the what it's the how they can be asked for yeah and uh yeah it just um it can be quite frustrating and on the on the other one i don't I, you you mentioned um colin um colin alice's book um, yep. have you read his i know the, something that i've forgotten that the prompt did me to get in touch with you i, I listened to you on colin's culture makers podcast that's right yep and um his book on the culture stuff and all that um items talks about those team cultures that you get them together and it, it it's that you don't make the culture of that team do you as a as a manager the team makes that culture and as you say to get a high performing team that that team need to be willing to become a high performing team um, and they made, and it, and and it sounds like your um, your scenario earlier on when you talked about your your biggest mistake is you had a really strong team culture, didn't you? It was just directed in 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 inwardly facing and in, in that oh, yeah, sage was, mentality. Yeah, it was, it was everyone against us. Yeah, and <laughs> but it's brilliant culture, really powerful, well, oh, yeah, strong yeah, team. That team would do anything for each other. <laughs> exactly, and and that's the same thing, isn't it? You you want mm. to build that, but you want it with the energy directed in the right way. And that, that's like that whole thing about those performing teams. So that's brilliant. My final question, uh, and this is a, a, a nice hypothetical one. Um, on that um, first project that you were leading, um, and I'm trying to remember which one it was, the retail one. With yes. The cost deployment, with your deployment there. On your first day, when you were fresh faced into there doing whatever you were gonna do on that first day, What's the, uh, in the Avengers style, what's the first thing you would have said to yourself? Um, yeah, I think that's an easy one, advice. actually. So yeah. so um, I got consumed by producing the perfect plan. Um, 
and <laughs> so you know I spent there's nothing wrong hours. with that yeah so, so it was a good plan it was in fact it was a brilliant plan it was very cunning as well but yeah. um but but i think my my lots advice of, my... lots of lag and lots of um overlap and all that sort <laughs> yeah, of thing in yeah. There. And, yeah and yeah because actually it was it was a really time challenge so um, mm, it yeah. took a while to come up with a uh, a way of doing it that could compress the uh, the, the timeline and uh, but but anyway but the but the point being is i think the um, my, my advice to myself was whilst that was important and needed to be done my, my my sort of number one advice to myself um would be to step away from the pc and get out there so it's that management by walking about yeah. um yeah so um it's, it's easy to um you know when when you do need things to be done whether it's you know producing some you know project communications or you know working on a plan whatever it is um for, for that then to take you know too much of your time and not leaving enough time to, to do that management by walking about so you know, give yourself time to turn the PC off and, and get out there, <laughs> talk to your project team or, or the client or other stakeholders or suppliers, whoever it is, but you've got to get away from your PC. Um, so I was going to say step away from the laptop, but I don't think I had a laptop back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and I think the other one would be uh, keep a journal, um, which I actually, you know, I've always done, but uh, I still I still think that's good advice to, to the project manager starting out, yeah. even if it's just for your own sanity of... Uh, of, of, um, <laughs> of just, you know, at the end of the, each day or beginning of each day, depending upon whether you're a nighttime or a morning person, just make a, a quick log of, of key things that have, have gone on uh, and, and uh, you know, and, and just use it as that moment of reflection. But also you'll find that there'll be something that comes up, you know, 10, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever uh, along. And then, you know, your, your journal is really, really useful for those things. Brilliant. Well, that that's all my um probing questions um if people want to find out more about you more about major projects association what's the best place to get hold of me yeah so google major projects association or um, go to uh, it's, it's majorprojects.org um and, and you can see everything about the uh, the association or um also I'm happy for people to connect uh, with me on linkedin so um i'm i'm uh, andy murray on on linkedin i was one of the one of the early early subscribers to it so I managed to get my own name in yeah, same here yeah <laughs> that's just showing our age again isn't it yeah it is yeah well my gray hair it shows my age to be quite <laughs> well that's it brilliant thank you again um for giving us so much time and um have a fantastic evening yeah well, well thank you for for inviting me and uh, yeah, it's been uh, really enjoyable actually it's sort of quite quite cathartic at the same time sort of reminiscing about some of those uh, early projects as well great Brilliant. All right. Thank you. See you, Andy. Cheers. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed the chat that we had there with Andy. And um, that's it, really. As ever, thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, um, easiest way is share it with your friends on social media. Uh, give us a five-star review, like and subscribe. I sound like a YouTuber, my daughter says. Um, uh, you could support us by grabbing one of our books, or if you don't want to grab one of my books, if you pop along to nigelcreaser.com and go into the shop section, uh, there's links to uh, the books relating to the guests that I've had on. And there's some fantastic publications there you can grab access, and I get a little bit of a kickback. If you want to um, be more generous and buy me a coffee pop on the patreon you can donate there uh, or you could pop and 
do a, a review anywhere really um but more importantly as ever come back next time so thanks for your time and i hope you have a fantastic day cheers now bye well it's goodbye from me nigel creaser and it's goodbye from him the sunday lunch pm goodbye <laughs>